joining us this evening to uh, celebrate the birth of Jesus, to um, sing with us, to, to fellowship, to enjoy company, and, and just to be the, the family of God in this place. Um, I got two reminders I'm going to say because I'm going to forget them otherwise. First off, like at the end of the service, we're going to do candle lighting. Uh, and we're going to sing Silent Night. We've done that every year since, I don't know, I've done it at every Christmas Eve service I've ever been to. Um, two things. When it's time to light candles, our young'uns who are up front might want to go sit by their parents. Because uh, I'm not saying a fire wouldn't be wonderful. I almost made Mark spit coffee out his nose. Um, but I am saying it would not be wonderful. Uh, the other thing is we have new candle holders because of wax being almost impossible to get out of anything. When you light your candle, please tip your unlit candle in the direction of the lit candle because the lit candle will drip wax if you tip it. And it'll make, nope, not upside down, um, <laughs> which will make the point of the plastic holders completely null. Okay? And so please, yeah, simple enough. Um, we're going to pray real quick and we'll get started worshiping and uh, praising and celebrating the birth of Christ. Heavenly Father, I pray that you be with us this evening. Help us to, to just remember, remember that night in Bethlehem. Uh, re- remember the gift that you gave us in your son. Remember um, just the shepherds and the angels and, and everything, the whole miracle of it all. Um, help us to sing, help us to celebrate, help us to be overjoyed. Um, in Christ's name I pray. Amen.
this is your first Christmas Eve with us, we do uh, our special services a little differently than an ordinary church service. We will do a song and we'll do a short uh, talk. And we're, we're going to kind of work our way through a handful of ideas that we discussed um, over the course of this month, um, over the course of Advent. And Advent means coming, and it was meant to be a time of preparing for celebrating Christmas. And so what we've done is we've talked about all these different aspects that led up to Jesus' coming, led up to preparing the world for, for Christmas. And, and I, I, I'm going to start by talking about um, the Lord is coming. That was the title. That is the title of this section. It's what we talked about when we lit the first candle uh, for Advent. In the beginning, God created everything. Time and space and light. And he planted a garden and he made people and he put the people in it. And the whole purpose that they were in that garden for, the whole purpose they were made for, was to know God, to love him, to be with him, and to glorify him. And they were, they were like his children. They were in his image. And he loved them. And actually, if you read Genesis, it talks about God going to the garden and walking with them in the garden and spending time with them directly because that's what we were made for, was to know and love God. And then the fall happened. And the fall broke creation. It made everything operate the wrong way. And it put everything on the wrong path. And we went from a garden where we were close to God every day, to being really far away. Because one of God's primary attributes is holiness. His holiness is so much, it is so pure, it is so good, that nothing unclean, nothing impure can come near it without being consumed like a fire. And so God went from being close to man to being far away. The entire story of the Bible, from like Genesis to Revelation, is the story of God bringing us back to him. And Christmas is the beginning of like, like the crescendo, the highlight moment where God makes his move to really fix it. Um, there's a story I, uh, I have shared a few times recently. Uh, it's from David Platt, and he, it's in his book Radical. He wrote, I remember visiting Indonesia and speaking with a Hindu leader and a Muslim leader. They would say, we have different paths that lead us to spiritual fulfillment, that lead us to God. And they said, we respect your path, you respect our path, and we will go different ways. Together we are one, and we'll end up in the same place. I looked at them, David is speaking now, I looked at them and I said, well... Let me make sure I understand. You're saying that basically you picture God at the top of a mountain and we're at the bottom of the mountain. And I may take one path to get to God and you may take another path up the mountain to get to God. But in the end, we'll all eventually end up in the same place. They both had big smiles on their faces and agreed with my assessment. And I looked at them and said, well, if that's the way it is, let me ask you one question. What if the God at the top of the mountain decided he was going to make his way down the mountain to us? And he came to bring us up the mountain himself. And they said, well, that would be wonderful. And I said, that's the God of the Bible, and that's what he did. Let me tell you about who Jesus really is, and not about trying to find our way to God. Jesus has come to us and he says, I am the way. We, 
we celebrate Christmas. We celebrate with joy. We celebrate with hope. We, we sing songs. We exchange gifts because we're remembering that I cannot nail it in life. I cannot be perfect enough to climb up to God. I can't do it. You can't do it. None of us can. And so God recognized that and came to us. The infinite God who created everything was born a baby. And he lived a life like us to bridge that gap. And so God went from far away to face to face. That's what we're celebrating. That's what we're singing about. That's what we're filled with joy over this morning or this evening and tomorrow morning. And, and it's what we've been talking about for a whole month, right? What the whole culture like rearranges itself for and celebrates even if they don't understand it. So let's continue to worship. Let's continue to sing. And let us, let's thank God that he came down the mountain when we couldn't climb up. We couldn't even begin to climb up. We didn't even want to. And he came for us. wonder what did Mary know how he was going to have us be carried up that path Hmm. please stand and sing not hit that note. 
Oh, wow. <laughs> so at the time that Adam and Eve get kicked out of the garden, um, there's this sequence in Genesis 3 where God is like pronouncing um, judgments. And as he's pronouncing judgment over the snake, over, the, over Satan, really, um, he says that God will put enmity, meaning like hostility or anger or enemyship, yeah, um, between the snake and the offspring of the woman. And that the snake would bruise his heel and that, that the offspring would crush his head. And that is like, it's, it's really like the first time that the story of Jesus is told in the Old Testament. And it's an amazing, amazing book. Over the course of a thousand years, the story of Jesus gets told hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times before he was ever born. But the very first, the very simplest version of it is the snake, you know, you'll bruise the, seed, the heel of the seed of the woman, the seed of the woman. And that was the first step of preparing. Like, because we are talking about the second week in preparing for Advent, we talked about prepare the way of the Lord. And God prepared the way in the Old Testament over and over again by telling the story, by, by saying, look, the seed of the woman. By the way, the seed of the woman is Jesus. Because women don't have seeds, right? They have eggs. Like, that's the way it works. And Mary gave birth to a baby despite being a virgin. The seed of the woman was Jesus, and he crushes the head of the serpent and, and all that. But, like, as we talk about prepare the way, part of that is us. Like, if I'm ever going to face God, like, if he was going to show up to my house tomorrow for Christmas dinner, number one, I would thaw something really quick. And I would probably vacuum. And I would make the kids clean a little bit. And I would shove a lot of stuff in closets and under couches because I don't want him to see how bad it all is. Um, What prepare the way of the Lord is, it's actually in Isaiah 40. And it's a reference to something an ancient ancient queen in Greece did. And it is uh, something that the ancients would have understood. understood. It's Isaiah 40, verse 3. A voice cries in the wilderness. Actually, we'll go from one. Comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Real quick, her warfare, meaning her conflict, her difficulty is over. Her sins are forgiven, and then receive double means all of her debts are paid in full. Um, because the Lord is who we owe our debt for sin to, and then if He forgives it, He's given us double what we paid, you know, what we owed, and then what He paid. And then a voice cries in the wilderness, "Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed." And all flesh shall see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now, there was this queen in Greece. It's about 100 years before Isaiah wrote this. And I'm guessing Isaiah had heard it. I'm guessing it's the sort of thing that got around. But she was traveling with her entourage. And you would have people go ahead of you, like heralds. And they would say, hey, king's coming, guys. Clean up the trash. Mow the lawn. Quick. Make the place look nice. And and that's what a herald would do. Like, make way the Lord is coming. Make, make way the... Uh, yeah, you know. Um, 
And so they would prepare the way of the Lord because the Lord would come, the king or this queen would come, and they would clean everything up and make it look nice because you want the king to think, hey, I have a nice kingdom, not, hey, you guys have turned it into a dump, right? Now, there was a queen in Greece who was so wealthy and so powerful and basically so spoiled, right, that she reached a point where her entourage, like there's mountains and hills and valleys and rough country, probably like southeast of town, right? Like you go out there and then the coolies are there and the hills and everything. And she's like, guys, I'm not going over all that. Put me down, build a town around me, and make that stuff level. And they leveled the mountains. And all the low spots were filled up. And they made a flat surface where there was rough country. Now, when God does it, people are expecting something earth-shaking and world-shattering. But Jesus comes, and when he calls, make, you know, the Lord is coming, like prepare the way of the Lord. And it talks about making mountains brought low. That's us. That's my pride. That's the things in me that says, I don't need this. God can do what he wants. I'm going to do what I want. That's the low spots where I feel empty and hollow. God fills those in. He makes them low, and he prepares me to know Jesus. That's what John the Baptist did, really. And ultimately, that Mary Did You Know song is a powerful one because if you look at how 13-year-old Mary responded to a pregnant virgin who was basically betrothed to another man and all this other stuff, like, she should have been terrified. And her response was, whatever you want, Lord. And then later she wrote a song about it because she was a 13-year-old girl. Of course she wrote a poem. Um, But her response was powerful because she had prepared her heart for who God would make her into, for what he would do in her. And for us, as we prepare to celebrate Christmas, as we remember that God came down for us, prepare your hearts by worshiping, by celebrating, by looking at how far God would go to be close to you. He would be born. He would learn to walk. He would go through potty training. That's a lot for basically the guy who hung the stars in the sky, right? Like, I mean, that's a big step for you to be close to you. Let's continue to worship and let's set our hearts and minds on the reality of, you know, we have to prepare ourselves. We have to to bring ourselves to a place where we're just ready to know God face to face. We're ready to be in his presence. That's a hard thing, but it's a thing he calls us to do. As, as we are heralds of God coming, remember that Emmanuel is, he is with us already. Make straight a highway for the Lord, O come Emmanuel.
When I, uh, when I was writing about, uh, about Christmas this month, as I was reflecting and praying and digging, and I was trying to talk about the coming of Christ, which is what we talked about with our third candle, the, the coming of Christ. Like, what does that mean? Um, I, I kept thinking about what that would have been like, like how far of a step that is. And I, I kept coming back to like a, a line from a movie, and, and I'm sorry, I'm going to use this today, but I, I think it nails it, right? Like, there's this spot in Aladdin. You all see Aladdin? Not the, I mean, the good one. Um, where the genie is talking about what it's like to be the genie. And he says, I have phenomenal cosmic power and itty-bitty living space because he has to live in the lamp. Like, so he can do anything. He, he is literally beyond comprehension but he's in this tiny little lamp. The incarnation, uh, Kierkegaard described it as the infinite in the finite, the absolute paradox. It was utterly impossible for all that is God to be poured into the tiny, limited little baby who fusses and whines because she doesn't even know how to talk. The Word was made flesh, and the Word that created all things to explain what it wanted and needed to be served. How crazy is that? How far God came for us. How much he did. I, I think I compared it also to Michelangelo. You guys know who Michelangelo is? Not the Ninja Turtle, the painter. 
Michelangelo uh, was just one of the greatest painters of all time. And if you could imagine him painting like, like a landscape, just this beautiful image, and then realizing there's a problem in the painting. If he were able to step into the painting and give up his body and become two-dimensional, made out of paint, and still knowing everything about the world, still knowing what he really was, that he put these characters on the painting, and then he were to go and explain to them who the painter is. It's me. I painted this, guys. You're only here because I put you here, and I'm here to fix it all. Like, how frustrating might that have been? How, how limiting, how much he limited himself. Why would he do that? He did it because, and actually I have a, I have a great line here. He did it because he loved us. Um, Romans tells us that this is how we know what love is. That while we were still helpless, while we were God's enemies, Christ came to save us, to die for our sins. Like when we didn't deserve it, when we, the opposite of didn't deserve it, Christ came for us and was born like a baby. Um, there's Jeanette Lockerbie uh, wrote a great line about her daughter. said, four-year-old Martha, hugging a doll in each of her pudgy little arms, looked wistfully up at her mother and said, Mama, I love them and love them and love them, but they never love me back. Christ was born in Bethlehem, born an infant, born a peasant, born in a cave. Really, you can go and see it. I mean, like, it's there. The, the Church of the Nativity is over it. It's a cave um, that they stored animals in. His first crib was a trough. Um, instead of being worshipped by angels like he had been from all of eternity, he was surrounded by shepherds. At the time, shepherds were so hated they were not allowed to testify in open court because they were considered to be liars, all of them. In the medieval era, when a shepherd died, they would, put, they would bury him with a handful of wool in his hand as sort of a note of excuse for God. Like, hey, I was watching sheep. I was busy. I'm sorry I didn't do anything I was supposed to do. Um, and these are the people, the liars, the rejects, the losers. These are the people that came and saw Christ's birth, the dolls that would not love him. But he loved us first. And he put inside us hearts that could be different. That's from Ezekiel. that He'll take our hearts of stone and replace them with hearts of flesh. Christ is coming. And he's coming from so big and so far to so limited and so incapable and so humble to save the worst of us. To forgive us because he loves us that much. That's why we celebrate. I read that at Christmas we give gifts not because receiving gifts gives us joy, because our joy, but rather because our joy flows out of us, overflows out of our hearts, and we've got to do something. So we give each other gifts. That's the joy we should bring to our singing. That's the joy we should approach Christmas with. God gave us the ultimate gift in, in his son. And we celebrate and we sing. And we enjoy each other's company. Let's continue to worship. That mysterious night of great joy, putting the, in, the infinite love of God into a finite baby so that we may be infinite with God. Oh, 
What a mystery. What joy. Yeah. 
I've been uh, doing Christmas Eve services in Big Sandy for 11 years, and every year I say to myself, next year I'm going to practice this in Linus's voice, and I never do it. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Luke. And actually, before I start reading this, I want to I sidetrack here. The beginning of this chapter talks about um, Mary and Joseph going to Bethlehem. They're doing a census, and they're counting the population. And so Mary and Joseph go to, to Joseph's hometown, the, like the city of David, because he's in the tribe of David. And like, there's actually a lot to this. We could, I, I did a couple of sermons on this topic, and I, I could talk for hours on it. Some of you all know I could. Um, but like the Bethlehem thing is part of prophecy. The, the family of David and the Messiah being born in this line is a part of the prophecies that we see in the Old Testament over and over and over again. We see these weird little fulfillments and these perfect lining up of everything in the world to make this happen, like according to God's plan, according to his preparation. Um, but really specifically, near Bethlehem there's a place called Migdal Adair. I'm pronouncing it wrong. I don't care. But just trust me. It's close to that. Migdal Adair is the Tower Rock. It is the place where one group of shepherds would raise their sheep. And what they would do, like why they were significant, is because they were the ones who raised all of the sheep that would go to the temple to be sacrificed. And so like for... um, you know, for the, the Feast of the Atonement, they would sacrifice a lamb, and the lamb would take the sins of the nation of Israel. And these guys would witness the birth of every baby lamb that was ever sacrificed to, to forgive sins. Like, that lamb gets punished, I get forgiven. That, like, lamb gets, you know, takes my, takes my sin, I get innocence. And so these guys are there, and there's this big debate like, you know, when did Christmas actually happen? It couldn't have been in December. It was winter, and nobody would be out as shepherds except Jewish law, the Talmud, teaches that Migdal Adair always stayed in the fields. When it was cold, they still stayed in the fields, and everybody else, like, could stay close to home with their sheep. But these guys were out, and they would have been the only guys that were out. And they would have been right next to Bethlehem, right there in walking distance. And so they're out there in the middle of the night. They're the night shift of the worst job in the world. They're, you know, I can't even compare it to anything in our culture. You know you needed them because they were food and they were clothing. But nobody wanted to watch sheep. Nobody wanted that job. So the night shift is there, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not. I'm going to pause right there. Fear not. Not only is he telling them not to be afraid, like, hey, I'm an angel, I know I'm terrifying, don't be afraid. But from this day forward, like, because Christ takes away the sting of death, like he's resurrected and he gives us assurance of the resurrection because he takes away our sin and we're forgiven and we have no fear of God's wrath for our sin. He, he takes away the fear that's between us and God. And, and like the weight of that statement is so big and I don't think they understood. They couldn't possibly have understood. They said, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Swaddling clothes, by the way, again, creator of the universe, tied up with rags so he can't move. Like, oh, wow. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace amongst those with whom he is pleased. When the angel went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem. Let us see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told to them. You you just think they must have been standing around. They must have been gathered around. All these people are like, wait a minute, angels announced his birth? What kind of child is this? Who is this? What is this? And really, the shepherds came and saw the birth of the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. That's what John the Baptist said later. Like, they saw, they saw the Lamb born. That was their job. And he was the very last Lamb. The one that would take away our sins forever. The ones that all the other Lambs were symbolic of. This section of our service is called God is with us. And this is, the word for that in Hebrew is Emmanuel. And it's actually from the book of Isaiah. And behold, the virgin will be with child, um, and you will call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And so when the virgin has her child, he is God with us. And they actually named him Jesus, which means God saves. You've got to think all of them were looking and wondering and thinking, what is God doing? What is this thing he has set in motion? Why shepherds? Later, why astrologers show up with gifts? Like, why any of this? What child is this? Well, he is God with us. And let's continue to worship and, and sing and praise that God is with us. What child is this? This is the son of the God who created everything. Come to save us. Hey, uh, I think this carol's a favorite of many. What child is this? Think of someone right now that needs to know that answer. What child is this? What God is this? We'll come down in such a low way. What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is
We are uh, coming up on one of my favorite parts of Christmas Eve service. Uh, I look forward to it every year. Um, Our last section, uh, we're going to talk about the idea that Christ is making all things new. Hey, guys, you should go sit with your folks so you don't burn our house down, or God's house, not my house. Um, I always sort of envision the shepherds out there watching the flocks at night and and just in the darkness. I mean, Montana, man, like I never knew how dark it got in the world and like until I lived here. And it had to be pitch black. And then all of a sudden, like the whole assembled choir of the heavenly host like is there and they're singing. And these guys who are outcasts, these guys who are, you know, nobody, are suddenly bathed in light are suddenly surrounded by the glory of God for the announcement of the Son of God who was coming, the, the God who would bring us back to, to face-to-face with God. Like we talked about the garden, the first garden that we were cast out of. Christ would later pray for us in the Garden of Gethsemane right before he goes to the cross. And the last chapter of the Bible, like so the cross forgive like, buys our forgiveness. He takes punishment for our sins. We are made new because he died for us. And then in Revelation 22, last chapter of the Bible, it closes in another garden. The garden where we're reunited with God face to face for eternity. And and the tree of life is there. The tree of life that was mentioned in the first, like in Genesis 3, like right in the beginning. Like, like the whole Bible bookends. And it's just the story of God seeing us flee like going away from him in sin, coming to us face to face, redeeming us and bringing us home. That's why Christmas is so amazing. It is God coming to bring us home. And just like just like the shepherds on that night, um, we're blessed in this way. Um, this is from Matthew 4, where one of the prophets said of Jesus, actually, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. For those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, on them light has dawned. Christmas, the first Christmas, the birth of Christ, it was the sunrise. It was the first moment that God re-entered close to us because he loves us. Because he didn't desire to condemn us. Because he chooses to be glorified by showing us mercy. He became one of us. And light re-entered the world. And it was a glorious thing. And when we sing this last song, um, which is Silent Night, um, when we sing it, I want you to think about this. What it must have been like to be shepherds, to be outcasts, to be nobody, to be reviled by everybody in, in the community, everybody in the city, everybody around you, to be looked down on, And suddenly, God came for you because he loves you. As we light our candles and we sing, understand that every time Christ fills us, every time Christ comes to us and redeems us and is in our hearts, that light gets brighter. And it spreads as we share the love of Jesus with the folks around us, as we carry Christ everywhere with us, as he is like born into us and we are born again. We get to share light with people 
living, dwelling in the land of darkness. And so sing with me and we'll light candles. And remember to dip unlit candles, not lit ones. Stand up. Gospel of John opens without like an elaborate story of the birth of Jesus. He opens talking about the big, big picture. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was, was with God, and the Word was God. 
And in the beginning, with God, all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. And in him was life. And the light was the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I have the best job in the world every Christmas because I get to stand up here and I get to see people who I've watched grow in Jesus. I've seen people that I've watched God act in their lives all year, and I get to see them glowing with candlelight. I get to see babies glowing in candlelight. My brothers and sisters and friends, the body of Christ, the family of God, like that light that came into the world and spread. I get to watch it spread through the room. And so it is with us. Merry Christmas. Like Spend tomorrow celebrating that God gave us his son, that he gave us light. And that light spreads and lights up our lives and is glorious and wonderful. Amen. Merry Christmas, folks.